Thank you, Sarah. Would you stand with me and turn to God's Word? We're going to be in Colossians this week, chapter 2, reading verses 6 through 10. Pastor Chris is going to share a message this morning called Overflowing with Thanksgiving 24-7. He's going to share reasons why we can overflow with Thanksgiving all year long. Again, in Colossians chapter 2, reading verses 6 through 10. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Let's pray. God, you've given us so much. We have so much to be thankful for. Lord, even if it's only the salvation through your son, Jesus. God, let us open our hearts and eyes this morning to all that you've provided. Lord, you really are so faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, I have to admit, I have to say this year, I hope it was better than the one we had. Uh, Several of you have already asked, and I've said, well, just wait, I'll share in a moment. And uh, uh, usually what we do on Thanksgiving, if we're in town, we go to my brother's house. And my dad has always been the master of the turkey. And and, uh, my brother, for I don't know what possessed him uh, to want to do that and take that job over, but he's been trying to take it over now for like five years. I mean, he'll cook the turkey with my dad. He'll stay up, you know, get up early in the morning, watch him do it. He even has videotaped him doing the turkey in anticipation of someday actually cooking the turkey. That has yet to happen. And so the joke every year is, Steve, are you going to finally do it? Well, this year, my dad retired from doing it. He just said, I'm done. And so uh, Steve got out of it, though, because as a doctor, he was on call this Thanksgiving weekend. So we were, you know, who's going to do the turkey? And so my cousin volunteered, uh, I'll, I'll smoke a turkey. Well, man, that had my name, you know, written all. I was just so excited. We're going to have smoked turkey. And then we got an email from him with this picture. Okay, coming in the email, and the subject line had one word, and it said dinner. And it's like, wow, I mean, he bought, this This is the turkey, right there, that's the turkey. And so I was so excited. Man, we're not only going to have smoked turkey, we're going to have fresh smoked turkey. Now, Gwen and Amber kind of were freaking out at looking at at the uh, Thanksgiving dinner while it was still living and breathing. But uh, my cousin went, and he did, I won't describe, he, he had a very interesting process for separating the head from the body. But anyway, he took care of that, and two hours to pluck it, seven hours to smoke it, put it in the oven, bring it. So we go to, the, the, to my brothers, and I'm just thinking, man, this is going to be the most awesome you know, Thanksgiving. And they go to cut into the turkey, and it's not done. It is red. There is red blood coming out of the turkey. And so we had no turkey. I mean, I was more looking forward to this turkey than any other turkey any other year. No turkey. And then whoever made the gravy, and no one ever fessed up to it, it was runny. I mean, it was like soup. It was like water. So we had no gravy. And then my brother makes this pomegranate salad. I don't know why. He's a bachelor for a lot of years, and he made this salad. 
And for some reason, it didn't set up. Now, you ladies will appreciate this. He put one package of gelatin in there, mixed it up, think, thought he needed another pack, put it in, and didn't mix it up. So it all settled there at the bottom. So we were just like kind of walking around the, uh, the what happened to Thanksgiving? And, uh, and, and so, you know, someone said, well, you've got to have a sermon illustration in that, and so I do. It was just another reminder that giving thanks is much more than just eating turkey. Giving thanks is much more than just eating turkey and getting with family. For us as Christ followers, it's being thankful as a way of life. Being thankful should be a way of life 24-7. I'm so excited about this week, and I bet you you have been too. It's a blessing to be in a country that celebrates this kind of thankfulness to God for his blessings. But listen, Uh, Church, we should be having this kind of gratitude and thankfulness 24-7. Every day should be thanksgiving for the Christian. And uh, the message there in your Bible, it says, and let your living spill over into thanksgiving. In fact, according to the Apostle Paul, in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, we should be overflowing with thankfulness 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. It says at the end of verse 7, abounding in it with thanksgiving, abounding, present tense, continually. In the ESV, it says abounding in thanksgiving. The New American Standard says overflowing with gratitude. The NIV says overflowing with thankfulness. Abounding simply means to overflow with the abundance of something. Now, here Paul says we ought to be overflowing with an abundance of giving thanks. Now, one of the traditional symbols of thanksgiving is the cornucopia, filled to overflowing with the fruits of the harvest. I mean, for Americans, when you think Thanksgiving, you think that turkey, you think this cornucopia. Now, take that picture in your mind, and you become the cornucopia, You become the cornucopia, and out of you is flowing not the fruits of the harvest, but the fruits of Christ's lordship. Thankfulness is just spilling out of you 24-7 every day of the week, filled to overflowing with thankfulness. That's what Colossians 2, 6 and 7 is all about. So look again in your Bibles. Let's look at Colossians 2, 6 and 7, and notice what it says. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That's the climax of these two verses. And it's in the present tense, continually overflowing. Why? Look again, because we've received. Christ Jesus as Lord. And we are now walking each day in his lordship. We have been rooted in his lordship. We're now being built up in his lordship. And we're being established in the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And we have been taught this wonderful faith. What more could we do than to overflow with thankfulness? And so you and I should be overflowing, not just during the holidays but every day, because for the Christian, every day is a holiday. You know where holiday comes from? It comes from the English word holy day. Every day should be a holy day that is filled with thankfulness for us as Christians. Now, 
I have to be honest. I have to look. I have to preach this to myself before I preach it to you. And I have to say, now, is that what I experience? Is that how I live? You may object. Hey, that's impossible. No one could always be filled to overflowing with thankfulness. And you're right. It is impossible if we try to do it in our own power and if we do it from our own perspective. You see, it's easy to try and live our lives in our own power from our own perspective and just kind of throw God in like a Thanksgiving leftover or like a Thanksgiving prayer before we eat. But the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, that's a tough verse if you don't read it right. It does not say be thankful for all circumstances. That would be ridiculous. God is not a ridiculous God. We we don't give thanks for getting cancer. We don't give thanks for losing our job. It doesn't say give thanks for all things. It says give thanks in all things. This is the will of God every day for everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ. Even when the economy tanks, give thanks in it. Even when you lose your job, give thanks in it. Even when you get the dreaded diagnosis of cancer, give thanks in it, not for it. Even when you feel all alone and forsaken, as many do at this time of year, give thanks in it. Even when life has not turned out like you expected, live long enough and that will happen, give thanks in it. Even when a loved one continues to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I, according to the will of God, are to give thanks in that. You see, the will of God for everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ in all of these circumstances, and whatever your current circumstances are right now, is to be overflowing with thankfulness. But you have to have the right perspective, and you've got to do it in the power of the cross of which we just sung about. You see, the key is having Christ at the center of your life, in the center of your circumstances. And that's what the book of Colossians is all about, and that's what verses 6 and 7 in chapter 2 are really all about. The book of Colossians is about Christ at the center of all things. And here's the message of this short book. Satisfaction is guaranteed when Christ is at the center of your life. And listen, satisfied customers are grateful. Satisfied people are filled with thanksgiving. And so this morning, God's Word is going to show us how to be overflowing with thankfulness 24-7, every day, in every way. And if you're a Christian this morning, you're going to have seven reasons why you should already be filled to overflowing with thankfulness. And if you're not a born-again Christian, if you're not a Christ follower yet, you're going to learn seven ways God can fill you before you leave today. He can fill you to overflowing with thankfulness. So let's dive in and let's look at the seven reasons. The first one is this. According to verse 6, we have received Jesus Christ the Lord. We have received Jesus Christ the Lord. The Net Bible says it this way. Therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, in your Bible, there's three words for Jesus there, Christ, Jesus, and Lord. And Paul brings these together in a way to put the focus on the lordship 
of Jesus Christ. But all three of these words are important. In fact, Christ Jesus the Lord means this, and I have it in your notes. Jesus is the one and the only one God has selected. That's what Christ means. Christ means anointed one, chosen one. Christ is the only one God has selected to be the sovereign, that's what Lord means, Savior, that's what Jesus means, for all us sinners. Now, if that's not a basis for giving thanks, I don't know what is. Jesus is the one and the only one God has selected to be the sovereign Savior for all us sinners. And that's the first reason we should give thanks and be filled with overflowing. Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one of God, is the person, the God-man Jesus, the Savior of the world. When Jesus, Before Jesus was born, the angel of God came and said to Mary, She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But what Paul wants us to focus on is this Jesus the Savior, Christ, the Chosen One, is the Lord. He is the sovereign ruler over all things. He's the ruler, he's the creator, he's the beginning, he's the end. In fact, look at Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Here is what Lord means. That little four-letter word means all of this. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of of the invisible God. When you see Jesus, you see God. The firstborn over all creation. Doesn't mean he was created. It means he's the firstborn. He has the right to rule over creation. Why? Because he's the creator. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, meaning he was the first to rise from the dead, he's the ruler over death, that in all things he may have the preeminence, which is just a long way of saying he should get first place, Jesus is second to none. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of God. He is man and he is God. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's what Lord means. That's who Jesus is. That's who the Christ is. And then even in Colossians 2, look at verses 9 and 10 that Kirk read for us. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Now, here's the point of receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. Salvation is a free gift from the person who is both Savior and Lord. Now, you got to get this to understand what Paul's trying to say. Jesus cannot be Savior without being Lord. Are you with me on that? Why? Because if anything is greater than him, then that which is greater than him can take your salvation from you. 
Anything that he's not Lord of is greater than he and is a threat to us. But when he is the Lord of all things, then he can be the Savior. And don't you ever settle. If you're looking for a Savior, you look for one who is the Lord of all things. Jesus cannot be Savior without being Lord. But that means also that we cannot receive Jesus as Savior without receiving him as Lord. How can you receive Jesus as Savior when he's also the Lord? Are you getting this picture? Sometimes we separate those. And we think, well, I'll take him as Savior and I'll think about the Lord part. No, when you got him as Savior, you got Jesus Christ, the Lord. The Apostle Peter made the same point. The fact that salvation is a package deal in one person. In the very first recorded sermon by a Christian preacher in the, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Here's the big idea of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Acts 2.36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, this person whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. There's all three of the words. Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ. Salvation is a free gift received by hearing the proclamation of this blessed name that we sang about earlier. This name of Jesus Christ the Lord. And then responding to both the person and the work of Christ. In fact, this word received. It says, as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord. This word received is used in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, to tell us what the good news is, what you have to receive. Paul says this, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's what you have received if you're born again this morning. In Galatians 1, 9, Paul uses the word received again, and he says, As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Why? Because any other gospel that is not located in the person and work of Jesus Christ the Lord is a false gospel, a false hope, and you will go to hell apart from him. And so this is what we've received. Let me sum it up this way in a very familiar verse to many of you. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it all is again. You receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Therefore, overflow with thanksgiving. Why? Because you've received what you can never earn. You have received what none of us deserve. You've received what only God can give you in the person of Christ. Therefore, no one can take it away from you because God gave it to you and you've received it from him. The rest of our life should overflow with one big thank you. Coming to Christ can be summarized in three very simple words. Here's all the Christian life coming to him in three simple words. The first word is please. We receive salvation by simply saying, please, forgive me of my sins. I give you all of my sins 
and please give me in exchange all of your righteousness, forgiveness, mercy, grace, power, all of that. But I want your free gift of salvation and eternal life. Please save me. That's, 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 that's what coming to Christ is. And then by grace, he gives you himself and the forgiveness of sins and a new heart. And you receive it as a free gift. Now, when you get a free gift and someone gives you a gift, what should you say? Thank you. There's the other two words. So coming to Christ, please give me eternal life, forgive my sins. Receiving Christ, what do you say? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all you can say because he's done it all now. The rest of your life is lived as one big thank you to Jesus Christ, the Lord, who has done it all for you through his lordship. How many watched CNN Heroes presentation? Anybody see that last night? CNN Heroes, they went all over the world and found 10 people who are ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make this world a better place. It was a great, I mean, most award ceremonies are just baloney. And a waste of time, well, I won't even go there. This was an award ceremony that focused on ordinary people doing extraordinary things to make this world a better place. The winner was a lady from India who was working to save women, young girls from the sex slave trade that is rampant around this planet. Amazing thing. And here's what one of the girls saved from sex slave trade by this woman, here's what she said. If I could dedicate the rest of my life in service to her, still it would not be enough to thank her. I was just gripped by that because I thought, wow, that's what we should be saying as Christians. That's what we should be saying about our Savior that if I could dedicate the rest of my life as a thank you, it still wouldn't be enough. Listen, if a young girl can say that about another fallen sinner, human being, no matter how good they are, why can't we say that as born-again believers? Thank you. The rest of my life is a dedicated thank you to your service. All that I do today... Here's what we should be doing. Every morning, we should wake up as believers. Every morning, we should wake up and we should direct our hearts to God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and we should say, thank you. Thank you for saving me. This day is dedicated to you. The rest of the day is yours, Lord. It's a thank you for all that you've done. And that leads us to the second reason we should be thankful, and it's this. We can walk in his lordship on a daily basis. It's not just a gift you receive in the past. It's something you do in the present. We can walk in his lordship. Now, you've got to get this in verse 6. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Here's what the Net Bible says. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in Him. Now, the key words in these verses, whatever translation you have, are words like as and so, words like just as. You see, again, let me say it. Jesus cannot be Savior without being Lord. 
We cannot receive Jesus as Savior without receiving him as Lord also. So it just makes sense to walk in his lordship every day just as you received him as Lord to be saved. Does that make sense? Some translations substitute live your lives for walk. And that's what it means. That's what walk means. Live your life each day. But walk gives us a word picture that is great for application. If someone says to you, walk me through your day, how would you respond? Walk me through your day. You would walk them through each day. You'd say, well, I got up, and then I did this, and then I did that. And you would take them through step by step your day, and you would go moment by moment through your day, decision by decision. Wow, this happened today, and I had to make this decision. That's what you would be doing. And that's exactly what every Christ follower should be doing with Jesus on a daily basis. We should be walking, and it's in present tense, we should be continually walking through our day, every day, in Him and His Lordship. Step by step, moment by moment, decision by decision, we should be surrendering everything to His Lordship. Now, I look at these young people, and I think, wow, they're probably thinking that sounds like a bummer. And some of the rest of you might be thinking that sounds like a burden and a bother. But let me tell you, to walk with his lordship through your day is a blessing beyond words. You see, every hard decision you face, you can surrender it to the lordship of his wisdom that's found in his word. Every difficult temptation you encounter, you can surrender it to the lordship of his power that dwells in the fullness in you. Every heartbreak you experience, you can surrender to the lordship of his love that heals the brokenhearted. Every dark valley you must go through, you can surrender to the lordship of his comfort, the one who is called the God of all comfort. Every act of obedience that seems impossible, you can surrender to the lordship of his holiness that has set you apart to be pleasing unto him. You see, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can go through that he is not already lord of. Why not walk with him through it? Can I hear an amen? Does that make sense? Look, he's the lord of it. It's not a bother, it's not a burden, it's not a bummer, it's a blessing beyond words to walk through your day in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Just as you received Him as Lord to save you, trust Him to walk with you through the valleys and the mountaintops and the plains and the deserts on a daily basis. And you will begin to overflow with thanksgiving 24-7. Why? Because Jesus is Lord over the pain of the past, and he's Lord over the fears of the future. Now, there's some here today. I don't know who you are, but you do. And the pain of 2010 has been intense. And there's others of us here who are already looking with anxiety at 2011, and the fears of the future are crowding out any thoughts of thankfulness. But let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus is Lord of your past, and he's the Lord of your future if you know him as your Savior. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, and he is Lord of all. Now, you may ask, how can I be sure that walking in this lordship 
is a safe, secure, and satisfying like you make it sound. Well, here's the third reason. The third reason that we can overflow with thankfulness 24-7 is we have been rooted in his lordship. We have been rooted in his lordship. Look at verse 7. The New American Standard says, having been firmly rooted in him. Now, Paul begins in verse 7 to pile up the reasons why we can overflow with thankfulness by showing us how we're to walk in his lordship on a daily basis. And we're to walk in his lordship as those who have been firmly rooted in his lordship. Now, this is a word picture, as you would imagine, from agriculture. Plants put down roots deep in the soil for two main reasons. One is to, as a source of nutrients, a source of life. The other reason plants have roots is stability, to stay in the ground when the winds blow up on the top. Well, the lordship of Jesus Christ is the same thing. The lordship of Jesus Christ is our source of life. It's our source of life. In Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, When Christ, or I'm sorry, Colossians 3, verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We're rooted not down, but we're rooted up in our source of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, he's our stability in life. He's the source of life, but he's also the stability in life. And here's what this word rooted, it, it, it's very similar to a word used in Colossians 1.23. Turn to Colossians 1.23. I want you to get the picture of what, how we're related to his lordship. Colossians 1.23, notice what it says. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, but notice these next words, grounded and steadfast, and then he explains what he means, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. That's what he means in 2.7 when he says that we're rooted in his lordship. What he means is that we are steadfast, immovable, in the lordship of Christ, even in the worst storms of life, you are not ripped out or ripped away from the source of what really counts in life. Now, what provides us with the motivation to walk in his lordship and to overflow with thankfulness in this idea is the way Paul says it. He says we have been rooted in his lordship, and he uses a perfect passive participle. Say that five times fast. Now, you're not here for a grammar lesson. I understand that. But the inspired word is written in a particular way to make a powerful point, and it's this. It's the perfect tense, and that means we have been rooted in the past with results that remain on into the future. When you were saved, God took you in, in a supernatural way that's beyond our understanding, and he rooted you into the lordship of Christ. He did that when you accepted him, but the results of that rooting remain to the present and on into the future. It's in the passive voice. That means we don't do the rooting. God did the rooting. And if God roots a plant in the ground, is that plant ever going to move? No. The storms may blow. The diagnosis may come from the doctor. The miscarriage may take place. 
The, the worst that you can imagine can come through a phone call. Those are the storms of life. And when they blow, you remember you're rooted in the lordship of Jesus Christ. And whatever is blowing you and tempting you to forsake Christ and to go crazy and do crazy things in the midst of, of, of temptation and pressure, listen, you have been rooted in the one who is over whatever that storm is. He's greater of that. So here's the point. When you receive Jesus, God rooted you in his lordship, and the results of that rooting remain to the present. It continues because when God does something, he really does it. And when he roots you or plants you or secures you in the lordship of Christ, no one can reverse it. No storm is greater. And listen, when you're rooted in him, look at verses 9 and 10 again. Look at verses 9 and 10. Here's what you're rooted in. For in him, Christ Jesus the Lord, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head, or made complete. The point is this. All that you need is in Christ. You have been rooted in Christ, and now through that lordship, you are being filled with the presence and the power of God himself. We are secure in the Lordship of Christ as the source of life's real necessities. Now turn to Colossians 3. What, what, what kind of life, what kind of source of life do we need in the storms of life? Well, here's Colossians 3, 12 through 14. It's no wonder that Paul says Colossians 3, 12, 14, because you're rooted in him. Now listen to what it says. Therefore, as the elect, the chosen of God, Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Listen, when the storms come and you don't have the character to respond right, remember, you're rooted in his lordship. And you have the mercy. You have the kindness. You have the resources. You have the character in him to make it through whatever that storm is. Therefore, I would say we should overflow with thanksgiving because when God roots you, even the strongest storms may come, and you will be able to draw life from the lordship of Jesus Christ. Which leads to the fourth reason why we should be thankful, and it's this. Number four, we are being built up in his lordship. We are being built up in his lordship. Now look at verse 7. The rooting is connected to the building. We have been rooted in the past to be built up right now in the presence, in the present. Now, notice in verse 6, just as we did not receive Jesus as an end in itself, but we received him in order to walk in him, so God did not root us in his lordship in the past as an end in itself. We have been rooted in him so that we are now being built up in his lordship. Now, roots don't exist for themselves. In fact, 
If roots exist for themselves, you would never know there are roots there because they'd be underneath the ground. This is pretty deep. You got it? The only way you know roots are there is what? Because they are built up and they shoot the life up into the shoots and they bear fruit that you can see. Well, in the same way, we have been rooted in the Lordship of Christ. No one can see that. But as we draw life from him who is now hidden from the world, they will see his fruit as it bears fruit in us and brings glory to him. Now, let me, give, let me switch uh, metaphors and t- explain it this way. Foundations are laid down. That's what rooting is. It's like a foundation. Foundations are laid down to be built on. Is that right? Have you ever driven through a, a home development and you've seen a foundation and all around it, all the foundations are built on, but that one foundation lies there naked, exposed, and not built upon it? Have you ever seen that in a housing development? Sure you have. And how did you respond when you saw that foundation with nothing built on? What you, would you ask yourself? What would you ask? Why? You, why? What's, what, what, uh, there's all these other foundations that are built up. Why is that foundation not built upon? You go, that's weird. And you think, wonder what's wrong with that foundation. Wonder what happened. Did they run out of resources? Did they run out of money? Did they just get lazy? What's wrong? That's not right. That foundation was meant to be built upon. Now, stop for a moment and think like this. The same thing is true as us as Christians. We have been rooted in the Lordship of Christ for one reason, to be built up upon, to bear fruit for him, and to continue growing so we show forth the life of Christ. But how many of us are like that foundation that lies there with nothing being built on it? What should we say when someone professes Christ and we know that they have been rooted in his Lordship, but nothing's built on that? We ought to say, that's weird. What's wrong? That's not right. That, that foundation was laid to be built upon. You see, we should respond like that because we have been rooted to be, grown, to, to be built up. But here's the good news. Just like God was the one doing the rooting, he's the one doing the building. It's passive tense. Being built up. God is building us up. What does that mean? As Christians, we have no excuse for not growing in the Lordship of Christ on a daily basis. We've received him as Lord, we've been rooted securely in him as Lord, and we're being built up in him as Lord. So why wouldn't we be growing in his Lordship? That's a good question to ask yourself if you're a Christ follower this morning. Why am I not growing? Now, if God's doing the building, what are his tools? Let me quickly give this to you. The Word of God... The Spirit of God and the people of God are God's three main tools for building you up in His Lordship. So let's do a little personal evaluation real quick. How did you do, how did I do in meeting with God in 2010? How did I do in getting with the Word of God which He uses to build me up? How consistent was your participation in our church family this past year? Because God uses the people of God to build you up. How did you cooperate with him in that? How consistent were you? How did you help build others up in one of our iLife groups this past year? Listen, if you want to be built up in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you get in a small group and you start sharing your life and letting them pray and love 
and apply the Word of God to you? How would you build up others on a ministry team this past year? And here's the kicker. What plans do you have for growing and being built up in 2011? You see, these are all just tools God uses to build us up in the Lordship of Christ. How have you been cooperating with what he has been doing in your life? Now, here's the application. If we've been cooperating, we will be overflowing with thankfulness 24-7 because God's not finished with me yet. Now, that leads me to a fifth reason. The fifth reason that we should be overflowing with thankfulness is this. We have been taught the faith as revealed in the Bible. This is in verse 7. We have been taught the faith. Paul now shifts our focus from, from the lordship of Christ to learning about Christ. He shifts it from deity to doctrine. He shifts it from the Son of God to the Word of God. And some people like to think that somehow God's more interested in our heart than he is with our heads. Somehow they think God looks at the direction of the heart and not the doctrine that's in the head. He looks at the intent of the heart and not the content of the mind. But that couldn't be any more false. Listen to Mark 12, 30. Here's what Jesus says God is interested in. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, And with all your strength, this is the first commandment. What do you think God is interested in? I'll tell you what he's interested in. All of you. You know why? Because he's the Lord of all of you. He's not just the Lord of the heart. He's not just the Lord of the head. He's the Lord of the strength, the body, the soul, the whole package, and he wants nothing less from us. And that's what we need to be taught. And that's what we need to learn. And then we can overflow with thanksgiving because suddenly we understand the lordship of Christ. Suddenly we have hope to share with other people. Suddenly we have answers for the questions people are asking in this culture because you have been taught. Listen, we ought to be so thankful in this church that we have been taught the truth of the gospel. And here's the sixth reason. It's connected to the fifth one. It takes more than just coming to church and being taught the Word of God on a weekly basis. God wants to make us firm in the faith that we are learning. And so the sixth reason we should overflow with thankfulness is this. We are being made firm in the faith as revealed in the Bible. We are being made firm in the faith as revealed in the Bible. Now, let me stop right there and say, are you seeing a pattern in these verses? We received him, but not as an end in itself. We received him to walk in him. We were rooted in him, but not as an end in in itself. We were rooted in him to be built up in him. Now, look at this one. We were taught about the faith and about him, but not as an end in itself, but so that we may be strengthened, established, and made firm in it. Listen, learning is never an end in itself. Information is always for transformation in the Bible. Now, the one who's doing all this is God himself. He's the one that's making us firm in the faith. Uh, What does this phrase mean? Uh, The NIV says strengthen in the faith. Uh, The Net Bible says firm in your faith. Well, here, let me make it real simple. People who are firm in the faith do three things. Number one, they discover sound doctrine in the Bible. The faith 
that they learn is from the inspired Word of God. They discover sound doctrine in the Bible. Young people, you're not going to find answers in philosophy classes. You're not going to find answers on college campuses. You're not going to find answers from your peers. You're going to find answers from the Word of God. Can I hear an amen? We who are going through trials, you're not going to find it on the soaps. You're not going to find it on Facebook. You're not going to find it on Twitter. You're going to find it in the inspired Word of God. And then once you find it, number two, you need to develop strong convictions from the Bible. Once you find the truth in the Bible, develop a strong conviction from the Bible. This is what I believe. This is my truth. This isn't just what daddy told me. This isn't what just mommy told me. This isn't just from grandma. This is my truth. Listen, we're losing a generation of young people who walk out the doors of our churches at 18 and 20 because their faith never was made firm. It never became their own. And we shouldn't be that way. When you learn a truth, don't just fill in the blank. Make a firm commitment to it. Don't just take these lessons you're getting at this church, but apply them and make strong convictions from the Bible. I like this. Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. Eat the word. Clamp down on it. Say, this is my truth. And it came from God. If you don't make up your mind, the great evangelist E. Stanley Jones said, your unmade mind will unmake you. Now, what do you do with these strong convictions? Number three, discern false teaching with the Bible. Discover sound doctrine in the Bible. Develop strong convictions from the Bible. And then discern false teaching with the Bible. That's what you do when you're firm in the faith. Let me read Colossians 2.8 from the message paraphrase. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. A man once complained, I'm tired of hearing about men with the courage of their convictions. Nero and Caligula and Attila the Hun and even Hitler had courage of their convictions. But no one had the courage to examine his convictions or to change them, which is the test of true character. Could I give you a challenge between now and the new year? Get alone with God. Take this lesson. You can download it glenwoodconnection.org, listen through it again, and then start writing out, what are my convictions? Examine them. Change the ones that aren't consistent with his lordship and establish some firm convictions for 2011. Now, here's the final reason why we can overflow with thankfulness every day. Number seven, we are overflowing with the ability, with the ability to be thankful. Listen, it would have been real easy to preach this message as seven things you must do to be thankful. And it wouldn't have been true to the text. This entire text is in basically the passive tense except for one command. And one command is to continually walk in his lordship. But the reason we can walk 
is because what he has done, is doing, and will continue to do in the future, you and I are without excuse if we're grumpers and whiners and complainers. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're without excuse. We're without excuse. Because we are overflowing with the ability of a sovereign Lord to live with a cornucopia of overflowing thankfulness. Now, I said all this to give you a holy day recipe. You ladies always want holiday recipes. Well, here's a holy day recipe from the Apostle Paul that takes all that we learned today and it breaks it down. Here's three Here's a three-part recipe for an overflowing life with thankfulness. Embrace surrendered living. Would you make a commitment this morning? I will embrace surrendered living. Just as I received him as Lord for Savior, so I will walk in him as my Lord. Number two, second part of the recipe, experience spiritual growth. Would you make a commitment this morning that I am not going to be a foundation without anything built on it in 2011. I am not going to be a root without any fruit. I'm going to experience spiritual growth because just as I have been rooted in him, so I am being built up in him. And then the third part of the recipe is establish strong convictions. Would you make a commitment this morning? Some of you have learned so much at this church for so many years But let me ask you, are you committed to what you're learning? Are you committed to living it? Are you committed to sharing it with people who don't know and who need to know? Would you make a commitment that just as I've been taught the faith, so I will be committed to the faith, regardless of what may come in 2011? Listen, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Amen? Let's bow our heads. And as we, we, we bow our heads, not to put things away so much or to wrap things up, but to really respond to what we have heard. And so with your heads bowed, but with your hearts open to what the Spirit has been saying, let me challenge you. Would you make one of these three commitments? Would you embrace surrendered living this morning? If God's spoken to you about that, and you're ready to make a commitment like that, would you just testify that by just raising your hand? No one else is looking around. This is a testimony to God. I am committed to surrendered living. God is leading in that way in my life. Would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. What about experiencing spiritual growth? God is leading me to build on the foundation he has laid. If that's you this morning, you're ready and willing to make that commitment. Would you just raise your hand and say, Lord, I'm committed to experiencing greater growth. And just as a testimony, raise your hand. And then number three, a strong commitment. Lord, I'm going to start taking what I'm learning, and I'm going to commit myself to it. Are you ready to make that commitment? I'm not going to ask you to do anything else than just raise your hand as a response. God has spoken to me. God has spoken to me. As they sing, Father, I pray that as they sing, that you would move in our hearts and that we would communicate to you what you've been trying to challenge us with and that we'll seal these commitments in prayer. And so as they play, 
Let's just do business with God. This is my desire to honor.